Hello and welcome to Technically Speaking, a podcast where scientists and engineers come together to chat about a common interest, share knowledge and satisfy some curiosity. I'm Laura and I'm joined by Jasmine and Antonia to talk about methane and how it fits into climate science. Jasmine, I think you're an expert in this, am I right? Yeah, I am an expert in this. I do research in it, so I consider myself an expert and I've even published papers. I think that makes me an even more of an expert in it. Yes, I would agree. If you've published stuff and it's been accepted by the scientific community, you are bonafide guaranteed expert. Yeah. <laughs> Antonia, you've got a slightly different background from Jasmine, because you're more sort of industry rather than academia. And you work on sustainability in the energy sector, so what's your interest in methane? It's interesting because companies have to report their scope one and two emissions, which would include greenhouse gases like methane. Jasmine was sharing one of her papers and I didn't really think about how people can reduce their methane emissions. So I felt like that was a bit of a blind spot. But equally, it's not something that everyone can impact as much as carbon emissions. It was an interesting fact that about 25% of global warming is a result of human activity from methane emissions. And we only talk about carbon dioxide. So I thought that we should focus on this more. I've heard a lot of that terminology. You mentioned scope two and three emissions. One and two, sorry. One. <laughs> <laughs> and things about carbon emissions and carbon dioxide. And that's what I tend to hear about when we're talking about generally greenhouse gas emissions. People tend to say carbon or co2 a lot of the time the scopes relate to where in your business or your supply chain these emissions come from right yeah cool i think we'll save that for a separate episode because it's not really the focus of this yeah (laughs) so pretty much all i know is people talk about carbon emissions and i'm definitely aware of methane as a greenhouse gas and i have a few random facts that i've picked up over the years but that's about it (laughs) so what you said about 25 percent of global warming being results of methane emissions i'm slightly surprised by methane is a greenhouse gas because it's able to absorb and release heat so methane in comparison to carbon dioxide when we compare different greenhouse gases we usually use a metric called the global warming potential which has different time horizons so that's kind of like an indicator of the warming of a greenhouse gas versus co2 over a certain time period and the most common one used is gwp or global warming potential 100 so over a 100 year time frame. It's the most commonly used one because it's the most compatible with like government strategies and targets because it's kind of like medium term. Other time frames that are typically used are like 20 years or 500 years. They would be like really long term or like short term. But going back to GWB100, methane is 30 times stronger than carbon dioxide. So that means one kilogram of methane that's emitted into the atmosphere will have the same warming impact as 30 kilograms of carbon dioxide. Oh, okay. So it's pretty important. It is. (laughs) There must be some reason for mainly talking about CO2 or the equivalent warming that methane has to CO2. So in terms of like all greenhouse gases, CO2 is still the more important one just because in terms of like quantity emitted, it's the most abundant. And also CO2 is the one that's in the atmosphere for the longest. So methane, when it's emitted into the atmosphere, it will stay in the atmosphere as methane for around 12 years. And after around 12 years, it will actually break down into carbon dioxide. So you may as well talk about carbon dioxide overall anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's not the case for other greenhouse gases, but like with methane in particular, it is part of the carbon cycles. When it's initially in the atmosphere, it's pretty bad, which is why you want to like try to reduce how much is going into the atmosphere, because in the short term, it's a really effective way of making effective 
um, measures towards meeting like climate change goals. This conversation around climate change or the climate emergency and reducing emissions has been going on for quite a while. Yeah. So I guess, say they started talking about this 10, 20 years ago, there was a very good reason to focus on CO2 because it had that long-term effect. Yeah. Whereas Mm -hmm. I've been reading recently that it's becoming even more urgent because we're not doing enough. So do you think there'll be more of a need to start looking at methane reduction emissions? That's a stupid phrase, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. More seriously. Uh, yeah, I mean, there already are. So at COP26, yes. so that was Glasgow in 2021, I think. Is this... Yeah, two years ago, yeah. Yeah, two years ago. At COP26, the UK and US launched a global methane pledge. It's a voluntary initiative, but basically any country that signs up to it, they're pledging to reduce their methane emissions, I think it's by 30% by 2030. Sectors like the oil and gas industry, they've already been trying putting in measures and they have their own sets of initiatives to try to really drive down methane emissions because for that particular sector, methane is technically like lost profit because if you especially if you're producing natural gas your natural gas is mostly methane so you you have another incentive to try to reduce methane emissions besides safety and environmental i haven't really come across it a lot of the companies i'm working with aren't directly interacting with methane apart from as users of natural gas but then that's more the responsibility of the supplier of gas and the gas grid I also don't work with many agricultural companies which may, again, interact with it. So I know in the waste management sector, there can be methane emissions. So that's one of the industry, apart from oil and gas, which may impact this, but I'm not working with them directly. Because you work on energy production and use of, not waste management. Correct, yes. So, like, different countries are, like, starting to introduce their own, like, regulations and policies on how to reduce methane. Uh, So the EU is working on one. An issue that they're having is, like, similar to what Antonia said, is that the EU just imports most of its gas. We don't really produce much. They're trying to, like, put pressure on countries that they import gas from to, like, do more to reduce their methane. So that's something that's kind of, like, reflecting what Antonia was saying. It's like... Okay, so is it fair to say there aren't really a lot of emissions of methane from activities in the same way as there are for CO2. But it's more that it could be where it gets lost in transmission from the gas industry, for example. Um, no, I say there's like lots of opportunities for emissions. So like when we talk about emissions, we tend to split them into one of three categories. So like venting, which sure most people would have be would kind of already know what it is. It's just like when you just release gas into the atmosphere. You've got emissions from incomplete combustion as well. So that's be from like if you're burning any gas or fuel, but also from flaring because you have quite a bit of flaring in the oil and gas sector. And then the final one would be what's known as fugitives, which are also known as uh, leaks. So this could be leaks from equipment. So the leaks are particularly like tricky because they can occur in any part of your supply chain and from any piece of equipment. Uh, so they're really difficult to like to to try to quantify and tackle because you can have really really teeny tiny ones or you could have like pretty big ones but they can but also they can happen from any part of your facility so they're a bit tricky to tackle and that is an issue that um, the oil and gas actor is having is just trying to like accurately quantify how much methane they are emitting per year specifically from fugitives is a really tricky one just because they're really difficult to identify and measure
But why would a company, especially if methane is their product that they're selling, mm. want to vent or flare gas? So uh, with flaring, um, it depends on what the facility is. So from facilities that produce oil, you can sometimes get natural gas as a byproduct. And if you don't have a market to sell that gas to, you don't really have an incentive to recover it. So you just flare it. Oh. And also, you just ha generally, you tend to have venting and flaring uh, for safety reasons, just so that if you do have like, a buildup of pressure in any part of your facility, rather than risk it exploding, uh, you would di divert the hmm. gas or, or fluid and then vent or flare it. So I think I've seen this happen quite a while ago. Somewhere in Yorkshire, and I don't know what it was in relation to, but it was like a big, long, large pipe that was, I don't know how far away it was, like half a kilometre, say. And there was just the occasional big shooting flame coming out of it, like a flamethrower pointing into space. Yeah, basically what a flare is. And I kind of thought, oh, how wasteful. But there must be a good reason for doing it. It was a little bit almost scary in a way, seeing this fire that was very well controlled, but seeing this like fire in the air. Yeah. It could also just be like for maintenance. So if you need to like do some work on a particular section of like pipeline or piece of equipment, like a tank, to like get rid of the gas that's inside, you'd often just flare it. I mean, you can also just vent it, but methane is 30 times worse than CO2, so flare it. So you'd actually prefer to burn it first if you're going to release any methane. Wow. Yeah, that's why methane destruction or methane burning is considered methane emissions abatement when tackling venting emissions, just because you're converting it from a highly potent greenhouse gas to a less potent one. On the subject of venting and flaring, have you heard of Turkmenistan's Gate of Hell? Yes. No. <laughs> Sounds awful. But is it? They aren't entirely sure where this came from, but it's a crater that is just burning. And it has been burning for 50 years? I've read different stuff about it. Basically, it's a gas field or a gas well that's basically on fire. The popular idea behind it is there was a natural gas accident and rather than venting it, they thought, we'll just set it on fire and it will stop. Except it never stopped. <laughs> Clearly, they did not use a proper flare. Or they underestimated so there's still this huge source of natural gas somewhere underground that's still feeding it. Yep. Well, but then again, you said it's better to burn it and turn it into CO2 than it is to just release the methane. Yeah. It's a shame they couldn't find a use for it. Yeah, it's also a shame that they <laughs> tackled it so poorly. Mm. Well, so we've talked a fair amount about the energy industry producing methane. But, mm -hmm. Antonia, you also mentioned agriculture and other things. Yeah, so another source of methane is the land. And also it's a natural byproduct from the meat industry, from, is it, I guess it's like biological decomposition. Decomposition, also anaerobic digestion. So this is what I like see news articles about reducing cow burps can save humanity from a climate disaster. Is that really true, though? If you want to like compare methane from different sources, so there's a lot of attention to the oil and gas sector just because it's more visible. But agriculture is actually the, a bigger source of methane. But is that just from the animals or is that from things like production of their feed? It's from the animals. It's also from their waste and also to some extent to produce their feed. But most of it comes from the animals themselves and the waste that they produce. 
Oh, okay, so I saw a headline. I don't know if you guys know anything about this. I just saw this headline that was pretty much they can adapt the feed for the animals to make them less gassy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can. That's one of the ways that you can tackle emissions from cows. You can basically just put additives so that they produce less flatulence. You can also feed them seaweed is another one that I've seen. And then another one that you could do is like breed less flatulent cows. <laughs> I wonder how they know that. Because if the cows are just out in their field, right, how are they going to know which cows do more and which do less? Apparently they do. Unless you can look at the genetics and go, yes, this cow is genetically predisposed to fart more. How? You know, the natural gas in our houses is artificially made smelly. So it's an additive. So normal methane, as far as I know, doesn't have a scent. So how did they figure that out? Unless not everything they fart is methane and then they could could tell. I have images of cows walking around fields with like sensors attached to them that are sort of, you know, like air sniffers or gas sniffers. Don't they have something like that in their airports where they're detecting for (laughs) explosives? Obviously it would detect different gases. That's essentially what they're doing. Or like, you know, the match test you used to do in chemistry labs where like you put it into a (laughs) bottle of like oxygen, it glows brighter. You're just holding a lot of matches next to uh, cows. So we have cow flares now as well as natural gas flares. Or the Simpsons movie where you drop a dome, just drop a dome over entire cow fields. And then that way you can harvest all the farts, right? Well, that would probably be a more sensible way of doing it. Put the cow in a lab. (laughs) Is the fun in that? Like that is actually a proposal is to um in the barns where you keep cows is that you put you attach a piece of equipment that can basically like extract the methane. But no one's really doing it, it's just a concept because uh, it would be really expensive and also the methane concentration in air is still very low. So It'll be a bit like carbon capture, but it'll be harder because methane concentration is just way lower than in like a flue gas. I did read about, again, a bit animal themed, cat litter could capture methane even in low concentrations. Yeah, I've seen that too. It's it's the type of mineral in, it's like a clay type material that has an ability to maybe not like absorb it, but just remove it. But there is like interest in developing technologies that can remove it from the atmosphere. Um, most tend to focus more on turning it into CO2 because it's slightly easier than just trying to directly capture it. But there is interest in it. Um, but everything's still in like the concept stage. There's, there are no pilots or like prototypes of anything as far as I'm aware. Yeah, I thought that's taking us back down the route of a conversation we had probably a year or two ago about um, why we're not doing carbon capture and sucking these gases out of the atmosphere. I assume there are lots of ways you can do this chemically that would be easy in the lab, but just don't scale up very well, presumably because, as you said, Jasmine, it's quite a low concentration in the air, but it'll also be competing with some other gases in the air as well. So you might not just capture the thing you want to capture. But could that be good? Because there's a lot of interest in air pollutants, you know, or even air purifiers in the home. So what if we directed those efforts towards, you know, removing greenhouse gases from the air? Yeah, then you're creating secondary waste, right? If you've got this thing that's effectively contaminated all this stuff, 
you'd have to figure out a way to separate back out, I suppose. I'm thinking about circular economy here, Antonia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'd seen some bacteria that have been adapted to process it, so it isn't just a waste material. Mm. Uh, so instead of having a mineral catalyst, we have biological catalysts. Yeah, that is another, that's one of the other like methods that's been proposed to remove methane. So this would be um, not removing methane, but just converting into CO2. Because there are, there are bacteria who um, digest or they will metabolize. No, metabolize is the right word. They'll metabolize methane and then convert it into CO2. Okay. I guess there's one part we're missing here. So there's hydrogen in there as well. What happens to the hydrogen from the methane? The carbon tracks with the oxygen. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care about that. But... At best, probably water. It would make sense, yeah. And then I imagine you have to figure out what to do with that if it's making your um, your chemistry moist <laughs> or your bacteria start to drown in it. Yeah, it must change the conditions, right? She says not really being a chemist. I think it's the kind of thinking people should have. And I hope that researchers are looking into it. They probably are, but uh, it's a very slow-moving area just because it's they need a, they need a lot mm. of money. Oh, that's like most things that are in development, they're quite a long way off and it requires an awful lot of effort <laughs> and money exactly effort equals money effectively right yeah when when effort used to just mean energy but energy is money <laughs> uh so i feel like we've kind of rambled around a bit and gone a bit off topic and we're sort of kind of discussing what's happening in the meat industry when we're talking about agriculture i suppose agriculture is meat and plants Yes. We've kind of talked about some of the ways they could be reducing methane emissions, but there's not necessarily a definitive way of doing that. Yeah, agriculture is going to be really difficult uh, just because, like, if you can reduce methane from cows by, like, giving them feed that will make them, that will basically make them produce less gas. Or the other way would be, like, eat less meat, so less cows. Yeah, I wonder about that, though, because... There's a reason there's a lot of animal farming near me is because the land isn't really suitable for mm. anything else. Well, anything agriculturally. So if that is a traditional way of farming that has been around here for hundreds of years, probably, is that really fair to change it? Because in the last hundred years or so, humans have done this terrible thing. Yeah, it, it's tricky. Like the agriculture sector is going to be like it's going to be really hard for them to try to cut down their emissions because it's either use these really weird and novel methods to reduce their emissions or farm have less livestock i guess and therefore less income i could also argue that some of the agriculture has also contributed to deforestation so a lot of beef farming has taken place on other land so it's kind of creating emissions from reducing the amount of carbon removal you know a land use change sometimes releases more emissions when you pull up the roots and then release carbon locked in in the soil and then adding cows or other livestock that re produce methane they've kind of done several things that contribute to global warming personally from my uh, research side i'm interested i'm quite interested to see what the agricultural sector do just because like nearly every single country on, and nation in the world has signed up to the Global Methane Pledge, which basically means that they've committed to reducing their methane emissions by 30% by 2030. So, and for a lot of these countries, um, oil and gas isn't 
a particular big source of their methane emissions is agriculture. So I'm interested to see what these countries do. Ah, so watch this space. <laughs> uh, so the, the the global methane pledge, am I phrasing that correctly? Yeah, global methane pledge. <laughs> That's a recent thing, did you say? Yes, 2021. They've not got much time because if if a lot of these novel things are still early in their development stages, still in the lab, then yeah, the only thing we can do is sort of like demand side response and just just simply reduce things. And yeah, that's going to be hard on people in those sectors to just go, right, change, change job. <laughs> yeah, like it's uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, oil and gas actor, I will say it is easier for them to try to like do any kind of reduction in their operations just because they they know they 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 kind of well they not they kind of know they they should know where their emissions are coming from and they should know what they can do to reduce them but it's for other sectors like waste there are things that you could do but agriculture is going to be quite hard because they're only like you can't really stop a cow from farting or burping but you can do stuff to like deal with like the land use uh, emissions but also emissions from any waste that's produced by cows and sheep so I think that's going to be where most of the efforts are going to be put onto. It's mostly like land use management and waste management in agriculture. Because otherwise some countries are just not going to hit that 30% target. But you're an expert, so that's like an expert opinion. Yes, my expert opinion. Yeah, And I, we've mentioned the waste sector briefly. And all I know is you put stuff in landfill and certain things break down. And one of the things they produce is methane. Yep. Is that a really big contributor as well? It's an important one. I think it's similar to the oil and gas sector. Agriculture is definitely the biggest, then swallowed by oil and gas, and then then waste. Yeah, waste tends to be more from like the, the landfills. Like the main way to reduce methane is just is just to capture landfill gas, which is something that they do do currently in different countries. In the UK, there is a significant amount of electricity generated from landfill gas. You know, it's quite a developed sector, I'd say, and almost like something we rely on for energy. It's been like recognised more as just like a potential energy source. So like the way that you would recover landfill gas is you have your landfill, you then have to like cover it so that you seal it so that gas can't escape. And then you just basically stick in a pipe or a m- number of pipes to extract the gas the landfill gas and then pump it out and then you purify it i've always assumed that this gas is mainly produced from effectively food waste organic sources is that correct do you know should it has to be organic waste because it has to be stuff that will decompose i was thinking like plastics because they're essentially hydrocarbons they could in theory break down into methane yeah they could in theory another thing with like landfill gas is that you do need like a mature I say mature landfill. You need a landfill that's been out of operation for a while because you need to give enough time for stuff in the, that was buried to break down and then produce enough gas that you could actually uh, extract stuff. Most of the places I live, you can divert your food waste to a, a different bin from the general waste that would go to landfill. And then that would go to composting or maybe to an anaerobic digester where you would then produce um, biogas and, and methane. And that's back to what you were saying before, that there are bacteria that can break these things down and produce methane. That is what an anaerobic digester does, right? I mean, anaerobic digester just, like, accelerates decomposition. Oh, yeah, it's bacteria breakdown, yeah. You can also do it on wastewater as well, as long as there's some organic matter in there. Yeah, so, like, sludge that's produced, you can 
then process that in an anaerobic digester to get methane. Also, like wastewater, I think wastewater would also fall within waste for, for methane. And you can get quite a lot of methane from wastewater treatment plants. So something you said about not necessarily knowing where all methane emissions come from in terms of there are things that leak and whatever else sparked something in me going back to the episode we did about space exploration and we mentioned in that that satellites are used to help understand climate change Mm -hmm. and they can detect things with quite good accuracy um like understanding tree cover and things like that so is that something that could be used to help understand this yeah so satellites are are currently being used to measure methane emissions around the world so Technically, satellites that can so satellites measure methane through absorption in the infrared, um, uh, shortwave infrared spectrum. Uh, just because the methane methane gas will absorb light within a certain frequency, and then the satellite will like read what wavelengths have been absorbed, and then it processes that data. And so, so satellites have been doing this since the nineteen nineties, but there just wasn't that much interest in them, so there wasn't that many. But now that there is interest from the oil and gas sector and other sectors and also like national governments there are more satellites being launched so in terms of space agencies nasa has a bunch the european space agency has a bunch um they're called sentinel the, the sentinel satellites um not they're not just for methane but their sentinel 5p1 is a methane um detecting satellite it detects other greenhouse gases as well as methane um, Japanese space agency, Chinese space agency, they all have uh, methane satellites or methane sat- satellites that can detect uh, methane. And there's also like a private company called GHGSat who is who has launched um, what are currently the most sensitive and maybe like the most accurate satellites. I say accurate just because they can detect much smaller emissions than the other like National Space Agency operated satellites. Okay, so that would be something that would help that methane emissions pledge in that case, I suppose. Yeah, because it's basically um, it's helping you identify um, emissions that you may not know are occurring. Or it could also help you in terms of like monitoring whether or not there's like any peaks in your emissions that you weren't aware of. But then again, sort of going back to what you were saying about it's difficult to quantify what you've lost through leaks. Yeah. They're reducing methane emissions from some baseline, <laughs> right? Yeah. So all we're doing is making the data more accurate. And how does that affect how you then quantify it against that baseline? I feel like I've come up with a really weird catch-22 situation <laughs> there. <laughs> Satellites, they can like detect the emissions over over an area. So, like, you'll know for so you know for a facility what your emissions are using a satellite, like more of a GHG satellite. But um, you will know like how much methane is in a given area. So you can use that data to like monitor whether or not your emissions are going up or down, and whether or not they're stable. And you can use that with information that you have on whether or not you're doing any like measures or campaigns to reduce emissions. So you can know if your what you're doing is effective or whether or not you need to. Um, rethink your strategies um they're also just useful for like validating emissions estimators so satellites are what are known as a top-down method so you measure the emissions in a given area then you can sometimes use that to then allocate emissions to like specific sources so like for example a flange or a valve or a storage tank 
The other method is top-down, it's the opposite. You measure emissions at the direct source and then you just multiply it by the total number of like flanges, <laughs> valves, tanks, compressors in your facility. And hopefully your top-down should roughly match your bottom-up, but usually they don't. And it, there's research going trying to figure out why that is. But like, yeah, they're good for like also validating whether or not your bottom-up estimate is correct. It all sounds like useful information, Fair but enough. GHG Sat is a private company. Yeah, yeah so I'm thinking if you are potentially too poor to have a good maintenance regime and replace broken equipment, mm. how likely are you to be able to get access to this data to spot your leaks? Because I've, in a in a sort of similar, you know, crossover where I'm looking at compressed air, which is used on most industrial sites because you have pneumatic things. A lot of people don't know they're leaking compressed air until it starts hissing, which case you, you've got a big enough leak that you can hear it. So you have to walk around with an ultrasonic detector. And then, and in that case, it doesn't tell you how big the leak is. It just kind of helps you find the leak. But if you don't have that equipment, you just kind of have to wait for it to get bad. Like, this is something, again, it's going to be... Because I do more, like, research in the oil and gas sector, so I know more about it. So there are, like, initiatives where companies who are basically have more money um, and have experience in measuring and detecting and reducing their methane emissions in their operations they're just like trying to like teach or help companies in like poorer countries who don't have the access to these types of equipment and technologies uh to help them like develop strategies that they can use to tackle their methane emissions it's still very early days so i'm not too sure how successful it's going to be um, but there are like is an issue that people are trying to tackle because obviously like countries like Egypt produce a lot of oil and gas, but they don't necessarily have access to the types of technologies that you could that companies in other countries like the US or uh, like Qatar would have access to, just because one has much more money than the other. I feel like that kind of sums up a lot of what we've discussed that it's early days yeah. and there's more work to do but i guess with that new methane pledge mm-hmm. there's an incentive for com- for companies for countries <laughs> to work together and collaborate and sort of get ahead of the as much as they can yeah there definitely is no which i think is quite a nice thought to leave on because you often get the impression that there's a lot of sort of race between different countries to be the first nation to do this particular thing so it's nice to think that there's a more collaborative effort, which is something that I, I think I've said quite a few times in this podcast over the years, that it would be nice if communities could do something and they came together to do their own thing that works for yeah. them and had help from the experts where they need it. Yeah, we'll definitely agree. So I guess that's probably a good place to end it in that case. So I've learned quite a lot about methane as a greenhouse gas and why it's so important. And there's some mad facts <laughs> about where it comes from and what's being done to limit the emissions our own crazy speculation in there so uh, thank you for listening and we'll uh, see you for another episode in a few weeks time 
The views expressed in this podcast belong entirely to the person that said them. They do not represent any industry or organisation. If you enjoyed listening to these views, it would really help us out if you could rate us, leave a review and tell a friend. This podcast was sponsored by no one, but if you're interested in funding us to continue to have frank discussions about science and engineering, please get in touch.